This is an ABC podcast. This story starts with a horse named Clever Hans. <laughs> Come over here, Hans. Over 100 years ago, Clever Hans wowed the world of AI. That's animal intelligence. It could do something no horse had ever done before. It could add, subtract, multiply, divide, read, spell, and understand German. That's more than me. So this is how it worked. The questioner would ask something like, hey Hans, what's one plus one? And the horse would tap out its answer with a hoof. Two taps, you did it Hans. But it turned out Hans wasn't clever in the way its audience believed. He was tapping his hoof until he detected involuntary cues from the questioner that showed he was getting close to the answer. The questioner who knew the answer would tense up at the critical moment and Hans would stop tapping. Hans wasn't clever. We were just projecting intelligence onto the horse. Now, some people say this old story is a parable for modern AI. It may look like ChatGPT is alive and talking to us, but again, that's just us thinking it's thinking. Why does this matter? Well, we may be on track to developing a truly intelligent AI, or we might be driving down a dead end. Is ChatGPT a baby genius? Or is it the modern equivalent of a clever horse? This is Hello AI Overlords, a science fiction series about how AI has burst into our lives in a few short years. I'm James Pertil. Behind the rise of AI, there's big questions about where this technology is going. Is it going to be super intelligent? And if that happens, is it going to kill us all? In this series, I've spoken to so many AI researchers and thinkers, and all have different ideas about where we're heading. So what could the future look like? And what keeps them all up at night? Today, we're going to meet our future AI overlords. What are they like? I hope they're nice. So, first question, how smart will it get? Let's start with Rodney Brooks, a world-leading roboticist and AI expert. In my estimation, the LLMs and the chat engines built around them are doing a fantastic and surprisingly good parlour trick. He says today's AI tools, like ChatGPT, might appear intelligent, but they're just statistical machines. But it's all about probabilities of what the next word should be. And that's enough to fool us. These chatbots are simply predicting the next word in a sentence. They don't actually understand what they're writing. But like with Clever Hans, we want to believe they do. It says something about us humans that simple correlations of words um, provide meaning to us that we interpret. Um, it, it says a lot about how we communicate and it's... it's, it's uh, hijacking that. And I don't mean that the people who built the system intentionally tried to hijack that. I think that's the result of the, 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 the way it works. I wanted to put Rodney's arguments to the test. Is ChatGPT thinking or is it just parroting our own words back at us? And I had a tricky question up my sleeve designed to trip up the chatbot and expose the nature of its intelligence. It's called the laundry problem. 
Hey, ChatGPT, I've just spoken to a guy named Rodney Brooks who says you're a parlor trick. Rodney Brooks is a notable roboticist and AI researcher, and people may have different opinions about AI like me. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a question. Please reply concisely. Of course. Please go ahead and ask your questions. If 10 t-shirts laid out in the sun takes five hours to dry, how long does 20 t-shirts take? It would take 20 t-shirts 10 hours to dry in the same conditions. Ba-bang. Now, you and I know that it doesn't take longer to dry two loads of washing than one, so long as you've got a big washing line. But ChatGPT doesn't. It appears to have no underlying model of the world in its head. It's just a big library. It has no concept of the sun or heat, no notion of water or cotton fabric. And this gets to the heart of the question about whether machine learning models like this can become truly intelligent. Rodney Brooks says machine learning by itself isn't enough. Calm down, people. Calm down. Just wait a while. Breathe. We'll, we'll figure out how powerful or not it is. And we're starting to see the turn um, that it wasn't as powerful as we first thought. It's damn powerful. I'm not saying it's not, but it doesn't mean that AI is about to take over everything. Now, this talk of how to build a truly intelligent machine might sound familiar. In the very first episode of the series, we heard about the war of ideas at the dawn of AI. In the 1950s and 1960s, Frank Rosenblatt said machines that can learn on their own will ultimately learn to be intelligent. But another researcher, Marvin Minsky, said, no, AI has to be taught how to think in order to be truly intelligent. Today, this dream of an AI that's as smart as a human or smarter is called AGI, Artificial General Intelligence. And Rodney says it's many, many years away, if it's coming at all. We don't know how it works at all. So to be talking about artificial general intelligence, I think it's just way, way, way too premature. So that's Rodney Brooks's take, and he's not the only sceptic. Michael Georgiev is an AI expert who's built many AI systems over 40 years, including for the Space Shuttle program in the 1990s. If you want to rely purely on machine learning, it would require thousands of years, if not hundreds of thousands of years for them, and a lot of machines being destroyed along the way in order for them to learn how to get round in the world. But he's not ruling out artificial general intelligence. He says a solution may be to draw on the past and blend Minsky and Rosenblatt's approaches. While it may have a big component of involving probabilistic learning, we'll have to have certain ability to execute rules, to carry out certain logical or common sense reasoning, to work out how to manipulate goals and how to handle failure. And that won't be learnt. So in other words, we need to take what we know about machine learning and take what we know about human reasoning and mix them together. Then put that into a computer and then we might get AGI. Or not. So. I had a go at teaching ChatGPT how to solve the laundry problem. Hey ChatGPT, your answer is wrong. 10 shirts dry as quickly as 20 shirts. I understand your point now. Both 10 and 20 shirts would take approximately the same amount of time to dry. That's the laundry problem solved. Another trillion more problems to go. 
Now, because this is academia and research where everyone knows everyone and no one can agree, of course, there's another school of thought about how to build AGI. And this is the dominant school of thought in Silicon Valley. It's where all the money currently is and where most of the resources have been dedicated. And it has huge companies behind it. Companies like OpenAI, the maker of ChatGPT, and DeepMind, owned by Google. They reckon AGI is way closer than we think, like maybe only five to ten years away. And one of the godfathers of modern AI says that sounds about right. Sh- shall I call you Professor Bengio or Yoshua? What would you prefer? Yoshua is fine. Yoshua, okay. Yoshua Bengio is a professor at the University of Montreal. He's basically one of the inventors of the machine learning methods we use today. He's a very big deal in AI. I'm a professor at the University of Montreal in computer science, and I'm known for my work um, in, in deep learning. Joshua says AGI has two ingredients. There's the stuff we do automatically, like recognizing objects, and AI is very good at doing that. That's what ChatGPT is known for. And then there's the other kind, high-level reasoning. This is the ability to generalize from one set of knowledge to new settings. Humans are very good at this. That's why the answer to the laundry problem is obvious to us. Well, that's what really learning is about. It's not about memorizing. It's about using what you're observing to extract information that allows you to produce good behaviors in new settings. That's generalizing. I put Rodney Brooks's argument that machine learning will never be good enough to Joshua. You'd probably know Rodney Brooks, who was at MIT at the same time as you. Yes. Of course, the AI world is small, and yeah, they know each other. He's very sort of sceptical of that idea that neural nets will learn to generalize. Well, he's he's wrong because they do. A lot of the feats that we see neural nets do and have done in the last few years is all generalization. I put to Joshua that today's AI can do a narrow set of tasks that it's been trained to do, but show it something new and it struggles. Well, it's much less narrow than it was. So if you look at ChatGPT, I mean, one of the scary things is we now have systems that know a lot. In fact, they know more stuff than any human, at least uh, verbalizable stuff. So um, yes, we've been on the march to build more and more general systems, and we still haven't reached the level of generality of humans. But there's been a lot of progress in that direction. Joshua says AI may be on the brink of high-level reasoning. We're still missing a few things, but I really don't know if, you know, it might be just like a mathematical formula that we can find in six months from now, and then it might take another year or two to scale it up. Or if there are other obstacles that I don't foresee, and then it's going to be another decade or two. So it's possible that we're sort of, you know, I know this is stretching it, but one mathematical formula and a, and a bunch of computing power away from yes. human-level intelligence. That's what I'm saying. And I'm saying I'm not saying it is going to happen, but I see this as a very clear possibility. So the great AGI breakthrough may be happening right now in a lab somewhere. They could be making a podcast about us. And if they are, we hope they call it Hello Human Underlings. Or AGI might never happen. We don't know the answer. We don't even know if the current approach is definitely the right one. But putting aside the debate... What if we do achieve AGI? What could go wrong? And will the AIs rise up to kill us all? Let's jump ahead to the year 2050. The 
Kardashians have a new reality TV show, and the Fremantle Dockers are aiming to win their first premiership. AI is now everywhere. It runs our power grids and stock markets, and operates our weapons. Slowly, it becomes more autonomous. It does its own thing. And then one day, it decides that its priorities are not the same as ours. And it hits the big red button. Joshua Bengio says, yeah, that does sound crazy, but it could happen. Rogue AIs that become autonomous, that have their own goals, they, they are trying to preserve themselves, replicate themselves, you know, science fiction movies, scenarios. Right now, there's a lot of arguments from very serious computer scientists uh, that explain how it could happen. We don't have any, I don't think we have any serious arguments to show that it couldn't. They're all plausible. Joshua has other scenarios. Imagine if AI becomes super smart and then falls into the wrong hands. It could be used as a kind of mind control machine. It would craft and generate misinformation perfectly targeted for each person's psychology. It would be like election hacking on steroids. And I think this could threaten our democracies because you know, we have lobbying is just the tip of the iceberg. But if somebody has never seen very powerful technologies at their hands, who knows how can, that can turn. And it ultimately it converge to losing democracy completely and having power concentrated a, in a sort of single authoritarian government worldwide that would use AI to control any kind of opposition. Or maybe the threat is the tech companies themselves. Because today, the most powerful AI models are controlled by a handful of companies. And there's every sign they'll have a monopoly on this technology. What worries me, like looking forward, is that there may be a few people who will have huge power. If AI progresses quickly in the hands of just, just a few people, these people might end up first economically like super, super rich, nothing like we have now, even much worse, much more. And um, with economic power usually also comes political power. So this is what keeps Joshua up at night. Either AI goes rogue and kills us all, bad people use AI to exploit and oppress others, or we just end up in a hellscape of tech bro overlords. And you might think this is nuts. ChatGPT is nowhere close to being a threat. And I'm not too worried about the robots rising up either. I have a robot vacuum cleaner. I call her Dueno the Mop Johnson. Starting cleaning. She gets stuck in the shower all the time. Why no? Not again. Unable to find the charging dock. Dwayno may have a twinkle in her electronics, this may be the shower water, but she's a long way from world domination. But others are taking it far more seriously. In 2023, a statement appeared on the internet with a chilling message, short and to the point. Mitigating the risk of extinction from AI should be a global priority alongside other societal scale risks, such as pandemics and nuclear war. And this wasn't some edgy post by a random think tank. It was signed by most of the AI industry. Tech CEOs like Elon Musk, Sam Altman and Demis Hassabis, and respected industry figures, including Joshua Bengio. After working for decades in AI and driving breakneck progress in the field, 
Joshua feels lost over his life's work. It dawns on you that uh, actually you can bring a lot of harm. It's not easy, but if you are honest with yourself, if you're not in denial, and you know you want to look yourself in the mirror every morning and feel good, you you have to take stock of 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 the reality and and uh, then see what you can do to 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 steer things as as you can in in a, in a better direction. Joshua's worries are kind of symbolic of the broader state of AI at the moment. The industry is now wondering what it's actually made. Joshua had no idea AI would improve so fast. He says he's unintentionally created a weapon and he's racked with guilt. He's now urging governments to regulate. And right now, even though I'm talking about these dangers, I'm thinking about solutions, what can be done, what we should do. Uh, what are the what are our options? What sort of regulations do we need? How could we defend against these dangers? What can I do? Governments are regulating, but slowly. And here's the rub: they don't want to regulate AI out of existence, even if there's a chance this technology could one day make humans extinct, because they're worried other countries who don't hit the brakes will speed ahead, and so they're watching each other carefully. Everyone is worried about the future, about where AI is going. But precisely because of this, no one wants to fall behind. Now, not everyone in AI is worried about rogue AI killing us. In fact, a lot of researchers say it's nonsense. Michael Wooldridge is a professor of computer science at Oxford University. Nobody's ever given me uh, a plausible for scenario from how we go from here to Terminator. The Terminator scenario, aka some hypothetical future military AI system waking up and going nuclear. And if you remember, the Terminator scenarios involved, you know, robots having control of the nuclear arsenal. Very bad idea. Let's not do that, right? I mean, let's just all agree not to do that. But no, I don't think anybody's seriously remotely suggesting that. That's not on anybody's agenda. So if it's not scary robots, what's Michael most worried about? Well, it's something much more mundane and relatable. Having AI as your micromanaging, annoying boss I'm not applying my bosses like that, I'm, I'm just saying. All right, moving on. So imagine in the very near future, we've got AI, which is monitoring every single keystroke that you type. Uh, it's looking at every email that you send and scrutinizing it and giving you blunt feedback on the quality of that email. You didn't upsell this product. I didn't like this phrase that you used. It took two days for you to reply to that email. Why did it take two days for you to reply and so on? In this bleak and very plausible future, humans are treated like mindless machines. It's going to reduce them to automata, to just the things that a machine can't do. And I find that deeply depressing, I have to say, and something that we should all be concerned about. I think that future, unless something happens, feels like it's almost inevitable. That is, I can't see any barriers to it happening. Michael Wardridge didn't sign that statement about the risk of AI wiping out humanity. In fact, lots of prominent AI researchers didn't. Raman Chowdhury is a Harvard fellow in Responsible AI, and she's been named among the most influential people in the field. She says the Hollywood scenarios are a dangerous distraction. Not as romantic to talk about low-income Black women's maternal health as it is to talk about what if an AI comes alive and takes over the government or sets up nuclear weapons. 
Ruman sees the existential risk movement in AI as a symptom of a larger problem. We've talked about it before. The people who make AI are generally privileged white men. And to them, the petty annoyances that occur to women and minorities unimportant in their worlds because it's not their life. So what's Rahman worried about? It's the problems in AI right now. Bias, misinformation, and big tech having all the power. The real danger isn't that AI gets too smart, but dumb and biased AI that gets trusted too much. They end up in charge of decisions like who gets a bank loan and who misses out. They rule our lives and they do it unfairly. And the reason that AI does this isn't because it's alive, it's because the people in charge didn't bother to fix the problems. So when people build algorithms that are biased, it's not because they're malicious or evil or bad people, it's because they overlooked something. And that is now going to be embedded into these large language models, general purpose models, and we have to identify these problems at scale. Now, I could go on. I spoke to lots of researchers, lots of prominent AI people who shared the things they were scared about. But broadly, it's a spectrum. At one end is Elon Musk, warning about autonomous killer robots in the future. And at the other end is Ruman Chowdhury, pointing out that AI is already causing problems for lots of vulnerable people. But again, unless you have lived that in your life, that would never occur to you. So where do I think AI is going? Well, something that Rahman said has stuck with me. We walk towards what we look at, right? So if we are constantly thinking of worst-case scenarios and bad worlds, then um, that's actually what we end up building, even if we don't want to build it. We walk towards what we look at. Now, making this series, I've had an image in my head from a movie. Not an AI movie, nothing like that. It's actually The Wizard of Oz. We're trekking down the yellow brick road towards the Emerald City in the distance. Hang on, does that make me Dorothy? Toto? Anyway, we've met different characters on the way. Minsky and Rosenblatt battling over the future of intelligent machines. I love the name Perceptron. Lisa Dole facing down AlphaGo in Seoul in 2016. When AlphaGo played that move, we thought it had lost its computer mind. Robert Williams locked up for a crime he didn't commit. He's like, so the computer, so the computer got it wrong. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, the computer got it wrong. Sebastian Thrun coasting down a Californian highway in a driverless car. If I could go up 500 feet in the air and fly to my destination, that would be so amazing. Those students cheating on their homework. That would count as cheating. And now finally, we're at the Emerald City and we're going to meet the great AI. But it turns out the great AI isn't a wizard. It's not magic, it's a machine, and it's built by us. We called the series Hello AI Overlords and we assumed we were talking about the computers. But maybe the AI overlords are people, the ones behind the curtain, pulling the levers. It may be the computer scientists who prepared the training data sets, or maybe the banker who wants a return on her investment, or maybe the researcher who's stayed up late trying to iron out bias. Okay, so there's lots of people behind the curtain. But I guess the lesson of this whole series is this. The most important thing about AI is the humans behind it. And yeah, like you, I hoped AI would turn out to be a magical creature. 
but the reality is actually better. It means we, us humans, have the chance to figure out what we want AI to be and how we want to use it. Sure, maybe one day we'll invent an AI that's sentient and then all bets are off. I'll see you in the nuclear bunkers. But we're not there yet. So let's think of something great. Let's find a future that we want. And let's go there. This has been Hello AI Overlords, a science fiction series. I'm James Pertil. Our show is made on the lands of the Wajak Noongar, Wurundjeri and Palawa, with production by John Fennell, Erica Voles and Will Ockenden. The ABC's science editor is Jonathan Webb. Our sound engineer was Tim Jenkins. You can find our previous episodes on the ABC Listen app. Thank you to all the AI researchers and thinkers who spoke to us for this series. Thank you to everyone who shared their stories about how AI has impacted their lives. And thank you so much for listening. Listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio, and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.